0: And I'm Rob.
1: And this is The List Makers, episode 23, where we have, for the first time, a split topic. Are you ready for this one, Rob?
0: I'm ready, Dave. I better be. Well, yeah,
1: I hope so, because we're recording. (laughs) So for this episode, the Hat of Rasslon has asked, what are my top five new adventures and your top five Eighth Doctor adventures? Mm. And on this occasion, it's your turn to go first. Any thoughts before we dive in?
0: No, just that it's a range that I read a long time ago. So I rely on memory in a lot of cases, like older memories, which present their own issues.
1: Fair mm. enough. Well, let's see how you did.
0: righty. In at number five, I've got Vampire Science. Vampire Science makes the list here because it's the second book in the EDAs, and I know how much the first book, The Eighth Doctor's, is marmite to so many readers then we get to this one second in the range and suddenly everything's different you know it's not uncle terence doing a comfy slippers let's go and visit all eight doctors this is a kate Orman book writing with uh, her husband john and i remember at the time they were saying how much thought they'd put into the eighth doctor even what he'd smell like because of course at this stage there was only the tv movie and nothing else He wasn't making Big Finish at this time. So, they were sort of inventing what the Eighth Doctor would be like based on what little they knew about him. And I think they put so much time and effort into it, it really shows if you like Vampires, Unit, San Francisco, the Eighth Doctor, it's all in here. As a very early book in the EDAs, I think it's a winner. Fair enough. Moving on to number four, I've picked The Ancestor Cell. And The Ancestor Cell is important because it ends the war arc in the Eighth Doctor novels, the war in heaven arc, which I'll talk more about later if that's completely confusing to everybody. And even though the way in which it resolves everything was very unpopular, particularly with mad Larry Miles, who had kicked off the whole... War in Heaven thing, uh, yep. and then quietly sort of left the Eighth Doctor range, so it had to be finished by a different author. And therefore it became unpopular with a lot of readers of the range. Once Mad Larry said, Well, this isn't how I was gonna do it, and they're like, Oh, well, this is just crap. I still have time for it, and that's probably helped by the way, I wasn't super switched on to fandom at the time, so I just missed a lot of the bitching and moaning about this. To me, it's just a big bonkers story. And indeed, later on in the range in the EDAs, in the Gallifrey Chronicles book, Lance Park and retcons an aspect of this story, which retrospectively I realized a lot of people had a beef with around the grandfather paradox character. I won't say any more there. So, even what you read in this book changes later if you get to the Gallifrey Chronicles. So, I still think this is a good one. The Ancestor Cell, wrapping up a big arc in the Eighth Doctor Novels.
1: Number three
0: Number three Seeing Eye This is back to Kate Orman And her hubby for this one Not only because they craft Such good stories together But this one is responsible For wrapping up the Quotation marks Sam is missing arc Of the EDAs Samantha Jones being The Eighth Doctor's companion And this is really good Because for anyone Who's read the EDAs The Sam Jones character Was very inconsistent Across all the opening stories You know, I've seen her described as, oh, she's a lovesick puppy or, oh, she's just a generic female. Oh, now she's an activist. You know, she was like anything the the writers wanted to defeat. She was almost Clara, Dave, (laughs) for for the EDAs. But in Seeing Eye, I think Kate and her husband had sort of sat back and gone, okay, how can we fix this? And they give us a story that basically reintroduces Sam as a companion to the Doctor. She grows up quite a bit in this one, literally, as the novel is set over several years. So, it's very clever. It fixes a problem with Sam through story. And I think that's great. Moving on to number two, I'm going with two books because they're linked. That's Interference Books 1 and 2. And the reason these two books stand out to me and to so many other people is at the time I read them, I was asking myself, can you do this with Doctor Who? Can you tell stories this big? Can you kill off the Doctor in an earlier incarnation? There's a slight spoiler. These two books are just sprawling. Again, it's Lawrence Miles and it's a masterpiece. And... You know, I would sit there thinking to myself, if I was writing Doctor Who, what would I do? Well, I'd I'd probably be in the home counties with some spooky stuff going on. And then you read something like this and your head explodes, you know. You think, oh, Doctor Who can be so much more. And again, I'm not doing spoilers, but I couldn't adequately cover the plot of these two books, even if you gave me the whole show. This is just (laughs) mind-bending, timey-wimey, nuts stuff. And coming in at number one...
1: I reckon I've guessed it, but let's see if I'm I'm, right. I'm
0: sure you have, because it's probably the most popular <laughs> Eighth Doctor adventure out there. Certainly is by price. It's another Mad Larry Miles book. It's Alien Bodies. Yeah. How could I not have this one? This story marks the first appearance of Faction Paradox, which is a time-travelling Gallifrey and Voodoo cult, if you've never heard of them before. The factions story arc starts here, which concludes in the ancestor cell. So we're taking in this whole war in heaven vibe, Time Lords versus the enemy. We're telling this other story of the the doctor's body being bid over in an auction If all of this is sounding interesting to you, then please read the book, because similar to what I just said about Interference, again, it's a case of, oh my God, can you do this with Doctor Who? Are you allowed to do this? I mean, I was reading this, obviously, before I read Interference, because it comes before Interference in the series, and I was just shocked in a good way. It was like this little show on TV that I loved had become proper sci-fi, bigger sci-fi, imaginative sci-fi. I can't quite put into words how this made me feel about Doctor Who. Of course, the disappointing thing is that either side of it and all through the range, frankly, there are some bog standard stories too. So you sort of read this, but the rest of the range isn't like this. But what Mad Larry Miles cooked up here and followed with interference is just amazing. I wish more people could read this and go, ah, so that's why people always talk about that one.
1: And it also has an unexpected returning monster.
0: It does, but that would be a spoiler.
1: (laughs) That would be a spoiler. Interesting. Well, uh, I'm going to give you a spoiler here, Rob. Yes? We have no snaps.
0: Wow. (laughs) That's interesting.
1: Well, yes, given we're doing a completely different list,
0: yes. Oh, I thought you were... (laughs) Oh, sorry, now I know what you're saying. I thought you were talking about your eighth Doctor picks. I know you're not doing a list of them, but I thought you might have had a list in your head.
1: Uh, look, I have got a couple to mention, and they're not on your list, so that is that is also not a snap, so yes.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, but look, I'll dive in now to my top five virgin new adventures. Now, one of our listeners did say on Twitter they reckon they'd predicted at least three, if not four, of my picks. So uh, they pro- they're probably right, because <laughs> um, they are, you know, It it, it is a very consistent list. These are books that I've loved for a very long time. But I'll dive in Mm -hmm. at number five is Blood Heat by Jim Mortimer. Mm -hmm. This was the start of the Alternate Futures mini-arc, an arc of five books there where something is interfering with the Doctor's history and uh, rewriting the timelines. And in this case, it results in the TARDIS arriving in a reality on an Earth where the Doctor died during the Silurians, which means the Silurians won. Not only, therefore, are we dealing with a, a, a sequel, if you like, to my all-time favourite Doctor Who story, but there is so much in there that you can do because you get the world as it is ruled by Silurians, ruled by the, uh, the sea devils, you've got the dinosaurs around there, you've got the cities just falling apart. And it's just, just so exciting to get to see all these characters. What's the Brigadier like having been fighting the Silurians in a guerrilla warfare for 30 years? What's Lee Shore up to? We meet Joe Grant. Uh, and, and it all sort of builds up to this incredible resolution, and it really captures, in my view, Malcolm Hulk's intention where the Silurians aren't necessarily evil and humans aren't necessarily good. Mm. And, and that really all comes together in a very exciting book. Number four is one that I think is on a lot of lists, and that is Time Worm Exodus by Terence Dix. This was the second one in the range, and this was the one where a lot of people who were very skeptical about Terence Dix's writing abilities suddenly realized just how good he was. Given 250 pages and an unlimited budget to tell whatever story he wanted, he tells a World War Two epic that jumps around the timelines that has massive Nuremberg rallies and, and, and occupied London, and London occupied by the Nazis and all the rest of that. It, it's interesting history. You, you have the Doctor actually meeting Hitler and the Nazis and that, that awkwardness of those interactions where the Doctor knows these are evil people and doesn't mm. approve of them, but to find out what the time whim's getting up to, he has to interact with them. Uh, it, it's really strong. And look, it's Terence just telling a great rollicking novel, which I always like. Excellent. Number three is one we've spoken about before, and indeed I did guest on We're All Stories in the End and uh, talked about it at length, and that is Bad Therapy by Matthew Jones. This was later in the run. It was at a time when the New Adventures knew that the end was in sight, and they were just indulging themselves in a really positive way. And They, they knew what they were doing, and, and Bad Therapy really brings the radical aspects of the range and the traditional aspects of the range and brings them together in a really effective way. And you have the Seventh Doctor who's gone through this massive arc through 60-odd books of being the arch manipulator and time's champion, stunned to realise that he's lost some of his his heart and his soul and he's getting back to just being the doctor that we know and love and and that's really interesting it's got some really good characters uh it's got a really interesting returning character and look it just was a book that meant a lot to me when i was 16 and it still does now Mm -hmm. number two is a mark gattis book and that is nightshade Uh, this has also been done as a big finish which is actually pretty good Uh, but this was just a great adventure. It was one of the first in the range where, as I read it, I could visualise what this would have looked like on television. Mm. To to the point that when some of the chapters ended, I actually could hear the theme music crashing in because it was such an evocative cliffhanger, and it was written in such a way. It's very clearly written by a, a lifelong fan, and Gaddis clearly has some ideas, but he does he does the Doctor Who tropes. He does. A 1950s setting. He does an vi- English village that's isolated. He has a bug eyed monster. He has an evil from the dawn of time. And he has the Doctor and Ace and that relationship really starting to, to break down and evolve in ways that it couldn't on the television. So it's a really, just another really fun adventure that I like. Mm, good. Number one is a book that some people love and some people think is terrible, but I love it. And that is Highest Science by Gareth Roberts. This is what I love in science fiction. It's got all these different sci-fi f- strands that all come together. It's set on a planet that could very easily have been filmed in a quarry. It's got <laughs> It's got giant alien tortoises. it's got displaced humans who're catching the train to work. It's got an arch galactic criminal who's out to try and find the secret a you know, really important ancient secret. Um, And in fact, he is there with sort of a band of other criminals and they walk around carrying an oracle like computer. So there's a very strong Blake 7 vibes in that aspect of it as well. Uh, Bernice also ends up with some displaced rockers who are on their way to a galactic rock concert and find themselves on this planet. So you've got all these very different strands going on. Some of them are just hilarious some of them are really dramatic the shalonians are fantastic villains and it's just written in a really fun and easy way and i remember getting out there and just really loving it when i read it and i still do
0: well i've been making some notes while you've been talking yes can can i kick off with a question yes a lot of mine were based around you just can't do this with televisual doctor who or can you do this with doctor who at all is it allowed and at least one of yours would be like that. I'm thinking Blood Heat. Like if the doctor's been killed off, you know, what would the world be like? That sort of thing. That strikes me as something different. But then in your list, too, you had, oh, I could visualize this as a TV episode. So which of those two styles would you most like when you're reading a, an NA?
1: I think that the books that do it best are the ones that do both, in right. that they, they feel like a Doctor Who story, but they expand the ideas and the visuals particularly in a way that if you submitted that script to the Doctor Who production office, they'll go, that's a great story. We could Mm. never make that. Go away. Mm. Uh, And Blood Heat's definitely in that category. Um, I think that Exodus is in that category. As much as it's a very simple to read and well-written novel, there are so many time zones and so many localities and so, so many events you need a you need a, a movie budget to mm. do it any 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 sort of justice. Um, the same with higher science. Like I could imagine that being done on a nineteen eighties budget, it would have looked terrible. Uh, <laughs> but I certainly could imagine it. Whereas, bad therapy definitely could be done on a Doctor Who classic budget. It's it's a very straightforward sort of story. The settings, are, you know, it's it's London and it's England. The characters are all humanoid. There's no mm. bug eyed monsters or anything like that. But but the themes that it dives into um particularly with uh the main gay character like it's not something the show would have done or really could have done and frankly right. even doesn't really do today um not with this sort of level of real emotional intensity so it, it is a lot more mature than i think the show was but at the same time evokes the feel of the show
0: mm. okay
1: so let me let me flip that round at you when i when i think of the eighth doctor adventures I think of a range that started small and then suddenly just took a big left-hand turn at Albuquerque and went into (laughs) weird and wacky, bizarro places and kind of just created its own universe that was unlike anything else that Doctor Who's ever done. Is that how you see it, or is that just the perception from outside?
0: You're talking about the Mad Larry stuff, really?
1: Well, Well, I guess they're the ones that people talk to me about when people wax lyrical about the EDAs as you you have been for the last 15 minutes mm. they're the ones that people go to and they say this this is what the range was I mean were, were they typical of the range or were they sort of no. spikes
0: no they, they were spikes Right, and, and, and this is what I meant when I was doing my spiel where I said, you know, you'd have a story like this, but either side of it and elsewhere in the range, the stories weren't like that at all. So you, you would have these linked ideas, you know, Faction Paradox was lurking around the voodoo cult at, at first, or Compassion, the, the, the living TARDIS, you know, essentially a, a young lady, but she's a TARDIS. She sort of popped up in the, in the more bonkers sort of stories, as you can imagine, you know, this living female TARDIS. But would she always get used? Well, no. And there are plenty of Eighth Doctor stories that are just standalone, (laughs) bog-standard romps. It's the kind of memory that I was talking about earlier that, you know, when you look back over 20 years, the big stuff does stand out. And some of the books, when I was looking down a list, I was like, oh, I don't remember what happens in that at all. Mm. Like, Like, not even a little bit. Whereas something like Alien Bodies, I remember vividly. And I read them both in the same year.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. why is that? <laughs> no, there are new adventures as well. And I'm like, I know I read that, but I couldn't tell you a thing about it. Mm-hmm. And exactly. I, that's that's very really true. Uh, you didn't have one of my favourite EDAs on the list, Rob, and that is John Peel's War of the Daleks.
0: Right. Look, uh, he did two Dalek books, as I recall. Uh, um, War and Legacy. War and Legacy. And I think he does... And this will be anathema to some people listening. I think he does good Dalek romps, so I can see why you would like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: You know, adventure stories with Daleks in, doing Dalek-y things. It's no wonder Terry Nation, you know, sort of tapped him to sort of take on the Dalek legacy. Yeah. But in terms of, like, great stories compared to something like Interference Books 1 and 2, which will just turn your head inside out and then explode it, you know... (laughs) It's not It's not in the same league, even though it is very entertaining. So that's why it doesn't make the list for me.
1: No, fair enough. Is there a Virgin New Adventure that you have a particular soft spot for?
0: I haven't read enough of them, because I've not read the whole range, to actually say that with any certainty. I mean, they're the ones that you sort of read like human nature... Yeah. Because because you you want to sort of catch up and, and understand what everyone's talking about and there's one that I want to read that I never have which is all consuming fire because I think that's a Doctor Who meets Sherlock Holmes type it is thing. it is yeah that's one I'd like to read and I never have it's just one of those books
1: well I encourage you to it's a it's an interesting adventure and I think if you like Sherlock Holmes you get a lot more out of that particularly the interaction between the Doctor and Sherlock Holmes because neither buys into each other's legend. Put it that way. I like that. (laughs) But we are out of time. That's been very interesting. It's been fun to talk about two book ranges we both love.
0: Gosh, that rocketed by.
1: That did rocket by. uh, But we now move into the Hat of Rassilon, and we have got a listener-submitted one. Mm -hmm. This is from Aaron Challenger, and he says, Top 5 Doctor Who Memories.
0: Oh, gosh. Great topic, Aaron. I think I remember him making that. Was it on Twitter?
1: Uh, No, it was actually when I went to his shop to pick up some Dalek Ah! toys. But maybe I I, I, I do remember I left. I texted you straight away. Aaron suggested this. We've got to put it in the hat. So that's Ah, probably what you're thinking of. But no, that sounds really good. But we are out of time. We will be back with that topic next month. But until then, I've been Dave.
0: And I've been Rob. And we'll
1: make some more lists soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.